Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, my fellow believers, and welcome in to episode number 18 of Combat Bets on the Believe Network. I'm your host, Jason Barron, and welcome in to another great episode where we'll get into all things in boxing and MMA. As we all know, there's some big fights coming up, not necessarily this Saturday, but next Saturday, we have the Charlo brothers, I believe the twins actually, both fighting on the same card. And then, of course, Adesanya versus Paulo Costa for the middleweight title. So really looking forward to that fight. But before uh, we look ahead to those, we're going to look back at, at some previous boxing MMA matches that have happened over the past month. And uh, it should be, you know, some great recaps that I'm giving to you fight fans, so I hope you enjoy them. Oh, uh, a little more uh, news breaking, perhaps. The fight between Tiafimo Lopez and Vasily Lomachenko has been confirmed, I believe, for around the middle of October. So we're about a month out from that huge, huge fight. Probably the biggest fight in boxing since the return of boxing after, of course, the coronavirus hiatus. And if you didn't know um, that uh, John Jones, the greatest light heavyweight in UFC history, has now vacated his belt because I believe he's moving up to heavyweight, maybe to challenge Stipe Miocic for his heavyweight title. So the heavyweight title excuse me, the light heavyweight title will be on the line between Jan Blokowicz and Dominic Reyes, the co-main event, uh, next Saturday on uh, September 26th. So really looking forward to that. And if I'm John Jones, I don't know why I don't just keep that title and try to uh, move up in weight and maybe, you know, hold two titles simultaneously at heavyweight and light heavyweight. Obviously, Jones doesn't want to do that. And maybe that's because guys like Thiago Santos and Dominic Reyes were really pushing John Jones when he did fight um, those fighters in his title fight. Maybe he's thinking, you know, I almost lost those fights. So maybe it's time for me to move up to heavyweight so I don't eventually lose my light heavyweight title, you know, in the octagon. Instead, I'll just vacate it. I don't know if that's his thinking. But to me, you can definitely make the argument that Dominic Reyes and Thiago Santos did indeed beat John Jones in their fight, although they were both, you know, decision wins for Jones. And now a word from our sponsors, betonline.ag. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in the action at BetOnline. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And remember, with betonline.ag, you can bet on more than just the NFL. You can bet on the NBA playoffs, NHL, uh, Stanley Cup finals. You could bet on uh, some NCAA basketball future props if you would like. I, and you could even bet on boxing and MMA. So uh, check out betonline.ag. 
betonline.ag for all your betting needs. Now, before I get into any more boxing and MMA topics, I wanted to talk a little about these NBA playoffs that have been going on in the Orlando bubble. Um, I just think right now the teams with the most heart and the most continuity have really been the most successful. You look at a team like the Miami Heat, they're led by the Bulldog and Jimmy Butler, who's really proven to perhaps have been the most important offseason signing Uh, besides perhaps Anthony Davis in the whole league. He just really gives that team that winning mentality. And you got got a guy like Goran Dragic uh, scoring 25 points in his last game, being that uh, secondary scorer that you need. And then Bam Adebayo with a game-saving block uh, in Game 1 to uh, really put that game away. Just a really nice confluence of talent the Miami Heat have going. And then you look at the Boston Celtics, they've got a young superstar in Jason Tatum, who's just getting better, uh, it seems, each game, and he's just a really talented scorer, but I think they're a little too young this year, and Kemba Walker has never really tasted any type of playoff success before in his career. So I think, uh, you know, like I said, they're just too young this year, and give them a little bit more time to develop, and I think the Boston Celtics could do some big things in the coming years. But this year, it just seems like it's the Heat's year. And uh, and then you look at the other side in the Western Conference. You've got the Lakers and the Nuggets kicking it off, uh, starting their game uh, coming up this Friday. And you look at what happened to the Clippers. They just don't have any heart. It seemed like there, were no continu- there was no continuity with that team. Sure, on paper, it looks great with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on your team. And you got a bulldog like Patrick Beverly. You got Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell coming off the bench. But there was never that cohesiveness, never that heart that you need to beat a team like the Nuggets with a a great one-two punch in Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. Perhaps the best duo in the NBA outside of... uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron James. So can't wait to continue watching these playoffs. Tune into that. And don't forget, coming up this Saturday, we've got Kobe uh, Covington take on, taking on Tyron Woodley. A pretty big uh, fight there. Uh, perhaps the winner could get another title shot. We'll see what happens there. Now I'm going to take a look back at a fight on August 29th. Between two top welterweights in Jose Ramirez and Victor Postal, Jose Ramirez ended up winning that fight by majority decision, but I thought early on in the fight that Postal was really able to use his reach and his jab well to keep Jose Ramirez on the outside, but we all know what Jose likes to do. He wants to get on the inside, make it an inside type of fight you know, get on in on close range and land his punches. And I thought as the fight wore on into the later rounds that uh, Jose Ramirez, Ramirez was really able to find his spots, find his comfortability, and eventually overtake Postal. And it's interesting because Postal is one of these welterweights that has really fought all the top guys in the sport. He's fought Terrence Crawford. He's fought Josh Taylor. And he's also now fought Jose Ramirez. Of course, those are his only uh, three losses in his career. He's only lost to the top guys in the sport. Uh, he's been guys like Lucas Matisse and uh, Mohamed Minyu before uh, Mimio, excuse me, before uh, losing to Jose Ramirez. So it's interesting because 
Jose Ramirez and Josh Taylor are considered the two pet the two best guys at 140 pounds and hopefully soon enough they will indeed be meeting uh, in the ring to settle who is truly the best and Josh Taylor actually has a fight coming up um, next Saturday September 26 so if he wins that fight assume uh, most likely that Josh Taylor and Jose Ramirez will be fighting each other but getting back to the fight uh, with Victor Postal and um, Jose Ramirez. I thought that Postal accounted for himself very well. He's a very skilled welterweight. You know, he, only the top guys in the sport are going to beat him. And Jose Ramirez is indeed that guy. Maybe not so much because of his skill, but because of his unbelievable will. I just think that Jose Ramirez has that, you know, that Mexican heart as he is a Mexican-American. And he's just never willing to take a step back never willing to say that the other guy's better. He's always going to fight till the end and uh, really try to win the fight no matter what happens. And uh, let's go ahead and look at um, the fight stats for this fight. It was a very close fight as we look at the numbers. Jose Ramirez threw 556 punches. He landed 156 for a 28% connect rate and was really able to work the body of Postal, landing 48 shots to the body. Postal threw 668 punches, landed 147 for a 22% connect rate, but only 19 shots to the body. So I thought the inside work of Jose Ramirez, his aggressiveness, his heart, his tenacity, really won him this fight against the perhaps more skilled boxer and more fundamentally sound boxer in Victor Postal. But sometimes those guys don't always win because they don't necessarily have the same heart, the same energy as a guy like Jose Ramirez does. And before that, he, of course, he knocked out Maurice Hooker. So Jose Ramirez is really on the up and up, one of the best um, Mexican-American boxers in the sport. And hopefully we see a fight with Josh Taylor in the not-too-distant future. Josh Taylor is, of course, a a Scotsman, and he has a fight uh, coming up next Saturday against a tough opponent so uh i'll be previewing that fight in my next uh episode of combat bets so look forward to that and now uh let's move on to another fight here that happened on august 22nd from the mgm grand conference center in las vegas nevada we had elder alvarez taking on uh joe smith jr joe smith jr ended up winning the fight by ko in the ninth round and joe smith jr is just this guy that is uh has a really great attitude about him and he's just a worker a guy that maybe isn't expected to be the greatest boxer but he has really long arms and he's really able to stay very active in there and I thought that was the main difference in this fight against Elidor Alvarez was the overall activity of Joe Smith Jr. He just threw a lot of combination punching. He was able to get on the inside of Elder Alvarez and uh, really get the better of him as uh, the later rounds started to uh, really take a toll on um, uh, Elder Alvarez. And Elder Alvarez is a guy that's been uh, uh, Sergey Kovalev before in his career. So this was a really great fight, and it was a straight right that landed on Alvarez in the ninth round to knock him down and uh, between the ropes, and it was really beautiful 
uh, boxing from Joe Smith Jr. and really the type of win he needs if he wants to perhaps take on Artur Better Biev in the not too distant future. Of course, the fight we all want to see is between the two Russians in Dmitry Bival and Artur Better Biev. Hopefully, we see that in the light heavyweight division, but if not, Joe Smith Jr. would be a very deserving replacement for that fight. So, we'll see what happens there. And uh, looking at Joe Smith Jr.'s record, he is uh, has 26 wins and 3 losses. His losses have come to Dimitri Bival, Sullivan Barrera, and uh, really early on in his career to Eddie Caminero. So this guy is a very talented boxer. He's being now Elder Alvarez, Jesse Hart, Melvin Russell, and the legend Bernard Hopkins. Pretty much retired Bernard Hopkins. And then you look at Elder Alvarez's record. These are really two top light heavyweights that were going at it in a very competitive fight. But I thought Joe Smith Jr. really dominated the fight because of his overall activity. Alvarez, uh, he's got wins over Jean Pascal, uh, Sergey Kovalev. He lost to Kovalev in the rematch. Then he beat Michael Seals before losing to Joe Smith Jr. Now let's look at uh, let's take a look at the numbers for this fight between these two very talented light heavyweights. Looking at the power punch stats for this fight, Alvarez threw 153. He only landed 51 for a 33% connect rate and landed 23 shots to the body. His opponent and the winner, Joe Smith Jr., he threw 369 uh, power punches. He landed 125 for a 34% connect rate and 8 shots to the body. So when you have that type of activity, throwing 369 punches in, I believe, a nine-round fight, you're probably going to win that fight, and that's indeed what ended up happening for the very deserved winner. So give a lot of credit to Joe Smith Jr. He really looked great in there against a evenly matched opponent against Elder Alvarez, but it just shows you sometimes when the skill of two uh, boxers is relatively similar to each other sometimes it's their will and their heart that uh truly makes the difference and that's indeed what happened uh for the workmanlike boxer in joe smith jr now let's move on to another light heavyweight that perhaps could be a potential opponent for either joe smith jr or elder alvarez in the not too distant future and that is the uh, British light heavyweight Anthony Yard. And Anthony Yard is really a very powerful boxer. Let's look at his record. He's got 20 wins and one loss and 19 wins by knockout. That means he's pretty much knocking every guy out that he gets in the ring with. His only loss was to Sergei Kovalev in a really competitive fight that Kovalev ended up getting a TKO win in the 11th round over Anthony Yard. But outside of that loss to the great Sergei Kovalev, he's beaten uh, nobody that's really at the top level. He's beaten uh, Darius Saik, Walter Gabriel Sekarera, uh, Travis Reeves, lost to Sergei Kovalev. Then he beat Diego Jair uh, Ramirez. And most recently, this was back on September 12th, he beat Dex Bellman by TKO in the sixth round. And he, he was really able to show his power, landing uh, some big right hands in the sixth round to end the fight and knock Spellman down. And Spellman is a really tough fighter. He had never before been stopped in his career. So it's really impressive that uh, Anthony Yard was able to get him out of there uh, in only six rounds. 
So I'm really uh, impressed by what uh, Yard is able to do, and I'd love for him to take on another top light heavyweight because he's definitely at that level, perhaps the best British light heavyweight in the world right now. So I'd love to see him come to Las Vegas, maybe fight Joe Smith Jr., uh, maybe Dimitri Bivol in the not-too-distant future. So with a guy like Joe Smith Jr. winning, a guy like Anthony Yard winning, uh, the light heavyweight division is definitely in very strong and uh, capable hands. And it's looking like quite the competitive division, especially at the top with uh, the guys I mentioned before. The two Russians, of course, in Artur Bedarbiev and Dmitry Bivol, the American in Joe Smith Jr., the British guy in uh, Anthony Yard. I don't know uh, what's going on with Sergei Kovalev, if he's going to fight again, but clearly that light heavyweight division has a lot to offer us. And maybe, who knows, Canelo Alvarez moves up and fights one of those guys. I know a fight between him and Bedarbiev, or maybe Bivol, was maybe floated, of course, the big news with Canelo Alvarez is that he's suing Golden Boy for loss of wages. I believe because they haven't been able to get him a fight since he fought uh, almost a year ago against Sergey Kovalev. So we'll see what happens there, but hopefully we see Canelo Alvarez back in the ring uh, in the not-too-distant future. Now moving on to a big heavyweight fight between... Dillian White and Alexander Povetkin. This was back on August 22nd uh, from the Matchroom Sport headquarters in Brentwood, England. And Povetkin actually was able to get the knockout uh, in the fifth round. uh, Upset win over the very talented British heavyweight in Dillian White. And Dillian White lost his interim uh, heavyweight title to Alexander Povetkin. And this was one of the more exciting fights than I, that I've seen in a while. It was really a back-and-forth fight. I mean, Dillian White put, put Povetkin, the Russian heavyweight, down twice, uh, I believe, uh, in the fourth round. He, he landed a left uppercut for the second knockdown in the fourth round. Uh, to knock down Povetkin. But guess what? That same punch ended up being the end of the fight for Dillian White in the fifth round as a left left uppercut from Povetkin knocks out White at the beginning of the fifth round. A beautiful step-to-the-side uh, move by Povetkin to get the angle right, and then just a beautiful, uh, perfectly timed left uppercut that Dillian White did not see coming. And that's usually the punches that do the most damage are the ones that the fighters do not see coming. And Dillian White had no idea that punch was coming. That's why it had such a great force on him. And that's why it ended the fight. Truly a great win for Alexander Povetkin. And really set himself up nicely uh, in this heavyweight division to get a big, big win over the favored Dillian White. And uh, their rematch is scheduled for November 21st, uh, also from England. So Dillian White was able to enact an immediate rematch against Alexander Povetkin. I think that Dillian White would win the rematch because before the knockout, Dillian White was winning that fight. He knocked Povetkin down twice uh, during that fight and was really able to get the better of the exchanges. He just got caught by a great punch by Povetkin, but I don't know if that happens again in their second fight. Nonetheless, take nothing away from Povetkin. A big upset win over Dillian White, and I cannot wait for their rematch. Coming up, as I said, in November. So, uh, some big wins there for Anthony Yard. 
Alexander Povetkin, Joe Smith Jr., and Jose Ramirez to hopefully set up that fight against Josh Taylor for the undisputed title of who is truly the best 140-pounder in the world now that Terrence Crawford has moved up to 147. And don't forget, coming up in the middle of October, Vasily Lomachenko versus Tiafimo Lopez. I cannot wait for that fight, the biggest fight in 2020 in boxing, in my opinion. Now, besides perhaps uh, Tyson Fury versus uh, Deontay Wilder, but that fight, uh, while it was a huge fight, it wasn't that competitive. I expect the fight between Lopez and uh, Lomachenko to be very competitive. Now, let me move on to a fight that happened uh, on September 12th between... uh, I'm not really sure how to say his name exactly. Igidis uh, Kozlowskis. He's a Lithuanian professional boxer. And he fought a Canadian uh, boxer in Michael Zuiski. And uh, actually, uh, Kozlowskis' only career loss is to the great Terence Crawford. So clearly, he's a top uh, fighter in his division, in uh, the welterweight division at 147 pounds. And he showed that once again against Mikel Zuski. Although, for my opinion, I thought that Kozlowskis was getting hit too much against an inferior opponent. While it didn't make for a very exciting fight, I thought that Kozlowskis really needs to improve on his defense if he ever does indeed want to get a rematch against Terrence Crawford again. Because the guy that uh, showed up against Mikel Zuski would not be Terrence Crawford. And as I said previously, it was a very exciting back-and-forth fight, and I thought that both fighters uh, were definitely having their moments in, in the ring, but ultimately the uh, the power and the quality of Ilgulis uh, Kowalowskis ended up being the difference in this uh, highly competitive and probably the most exciting fight uh, in boxing that I've seen in quite a while. So let's go ahead and look at the numbers for this fight. Uh, Kavlaskas, he threw 364 punches. He landed 127 for a 35% connect rate. Only 14 shots to the body. His opponent, Mikhail uh, Zuski, he threw 409 punches. Landed 132 for a 32% connect rate and 24 shots to the body. So Zuski landed 5 more punches than Kavlaskas. But clearly, Kavlaskas uh, was the bigger puncher in there. He had more force with his punches. And uh, that power ended up being uh, the end of the fight for Zuski as it ended um, in the eighth round. A beautiful uh, performance by uh, Kavlaskas as uh, he landed a right uppercut that dropped Zuski at the end of the seventh round. It was a great change of looks from uh, Kavlaskas because Zuski wasn't really looking for that uppercut and it ended up, ended up uh, catching him after a flurry of punches that was able to put him down. And then the fight ended at the start of the eighth round with a right hook around the guard from Zuski that uh, put him down once again. And then uh, the referee had no choice but to uh, call off the fight. So a beautiful uh performance from Kavlaskas as I said he really needs to show me better uh, boxing fundamentals on the defensive side of the sport to really uh, deserve a rematch against Terence Crawford.
So we'll see where uh, Kozlaskas goes from here, but a big performance from him uh, this past September 12th. And, uh, and for Zuski, he's a very exciting fighter, um, a guy from Canada that I had never really before seen box, but he definitely impressed me with his heart and his will and his ability uh, to really push the pace and make this a competitive fight, more competitive than I thought it would be. And uh, if you haven't watched that fight, I definitely recommend going back and checking out the replay. Now, moving on to another boxing match between Jamel Herring and Jonathan Okendo. And this happened up on uh, September 5th from the MGM Grand uh, Conference Center in Paradise, Nevada. And Jamel Herring retained his WBO Junior Lightweight title. And uh, Okendo was disqualified because of uh, repeated headbutts. And that's what I really noticed in this fight. That all Okendo wanted to do was get on the inside and clinch Herring, not really box. And when you come in with your head forward like that, uh, unfortunately it caught Herring in the eye and his eye was bleeding. And the fight wasn't immediately stopped, but it was determined that after, uh, at the start of the 8th round that uh, Herring could no longer see clearly and since the... Uh, injury didn't happen from a punch it happened from repeated headbutts Okendo was disqualified and uh, Jamel Herring showed me some great boxing in there and when uh, Okendo would come on the inside he was able to land some uppercuts or some right hooks to really uh, knock Okendo back as he was coming forward trying to get on the inside trying to clinch Herring and I said not really box it wasn't the most exciting fight and uh, Herring really needs to improve on his overall boxing, on his speed, on his fundamentals if he wants to have a chance of upsetting uh, Carl Frampton in what's proposed to be uh, Herring's next fight against the very talented uh, Carl Frampton who's of course one of the quickest fighters in boxing, uh, one of the most active throwing a lot of punches and uh, it should be an exciting fight but I still like Carl Frampton in that, in that fight. I just think he's at a little higher level of skill right now than Herring. But Herring trains uh, in Nebraska with the great Terrence Crawford, among other fighters. So when you train with a great fighter like Crawford, you're improving every day. You're seeing how the best train, and you're trying to imitate uh, what they do. So I think that influence of Terrence Crawford has really done a lot of good for the former Marine in uh, Jamel Herring. And you really have to feel for Herring because his fight was postponed twice because he tested positive twice for uh, the coronavirus. Fortunately, eventually the fight did happen uh, in September and we are able to see Herring back in the ring. And I can't wait for Frampton versus Herring. Hasn't been announced exactly when that fight could be. But it should be a very competitive fight. And for Okendo, I really don't like fighters that fight like that. That aren't really boxers, but more guys that just want to clinch and get on the inside and use that dirty boxing style. That's the type of fighter I don't really enjoy watching. So Herring was able to take care of business, although it was by disqualification. Herring was still winning that fight, landing more punches, uh, able to catch Okendo as he was coming in on the inside with some great, uh, you know, left hooks and uppercuts to really push Okendo back. And I believe he even knocked him down. So a decent performance from Herring, but he's obviously going to need to be better against Carl Frampton. 
And before I move into MMA topics, I just want to shout out Elvis Rodriguez. He's really impressed me with his overall boxing fundamentals. He's a young fighter, and on August 29th, he got a third-round stoppage win over Cody Wilson at 144-pound catchweight bout. And he really impressed me uh, with his boxing and his power. I think that Elvis Rodriguez is definitely a fighter to keep an eye on. And he's still uh, pretty young in the sport. He's uh, a very talented fighter. He's only 24 years old. So the future is very bright for Elvis Rodriguez. Definitely a fighter to watch out for. And if you didn't watch that knockout he had, as I said, on August 29th, I definitely recommend uh, you go back and check it out because he just showed how talented he is and how much um, you know more he has to go in his career to get those big fights. And I think they'll be coming soon enough for him. So a great performance from Elvis Rodriguez with a third round uh, TKO win over an overmatched opponent in Cody Wilson. And another fighter I wanted to shout out is Jared Anderson. I believe he's only uh, 20 years old. Yeah, only 20 years old. And he looks like one of the best up-and-coming uh, heavyweights in the sport right now. And he's, uh, you know, just got another knockout win uh, this September, past September 5th over Rodney Hernandez. A fourth-round TKO win over him and right now Jared Anderson is just being matched up against overmatched opponents early on in his career he's uh, got six wins and all six have come by knockout so since he's only 20 years old it might take a little while for Anderson to get uh, matched up against a guy that can actually you know challenge him some but for now Anderson looks like an absolute destroyer he's just got to keep improving stay active and uh, I think he'll continue to get those knockouts until he's in there against a very quality opponent. And speaking of young heavyweights, a big uh, heavyweight bout is uh, due to happen between Daniel Dubois and, of course, Joe Joyce. They're probably the two best uh, young heavyweights uh, in British boxing, and they're set to uh, fight against each other. So I cannot wait uh, for that fight to happen. And hopefully uh, we see Joe Joyce and Daniel Dubois get it on in the not-too-distant future. And speaking of Daniel Dubois, he got a second-round TKO win over um, Ricardo uh, Snyders, and that was back on August 29th. He retained his WBO International Heavyweight title. So Dubois and Joe Joyce are definitely two boxers, two British heavyweights to keep your eye on. And both Joe Joyce and Daniel Dubois got wins pretty recently, both knockout wins uh, in their last fights. So they both look like they're ready to fight each other and determine who indeed is uh, the best, you know, up and coming British heavyweight in the sport. And I think Daniel Dubois may have a slight advantage there, and um, we'll see what happens there. But for Joe Joyce, he's beaten guys like Bryant Jennings and Berman Stavern. So he's been in there against some pretty decent fighters. And uh, I think his fight against Daniel Dubois would definitely be the hardest challenge of his career. And now let's move into uh, some UFC fights here. And I'll start with the one on August 22nd from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. We had uh, Pedro Munoz taking on 
Frankie Edgar, and I believe Munoz was uh, the slight favorite in this fight, and it was a very competitive fight, as we can tell from the fight stats. Uh, Edgar ended up winning this five-round war by split decision. It was really a very competitive fight, mostly a boxing match with a lot of combinations being thrown. Both guys eating a lot of right hands from each other. Both guys showing incredible chins and incredible hearts. Although I thought that Munoz uh, landed definitely the more powerful punches. And uh, looking at the fight stats here, Munoz landed 166 out of 350 total strikes. Uh, Edgar landed 135 out of 363 total strikes. So both these guys were very active in there. And then uh, Munoz landed 24 out of 39 shots to the body. Edgar landed 23 out of 46 shots to the body. And I thought the leg kicks of Munoz were a big difference in this fight. Munoz landed 44 out of 52 uh, kicks to the leg. And Edgar only landed 7 of 8 kicks to the leg. And maybe the takedowns of Edgar were what ended up getting him the win here. He landed two out of eight of two out of eight out of of his takedown attempts, and had 18 seconds of ground control time. So every time that uh, Edgar took Munoz down, he was able to get right back up to his feet and make this really quite the striking battle to behold. And uh, both these guys had their moments in there. But as I said, I thought Munoz probably deserved to win this fight, but it was a very close fight, and I definitely uh, don't totally disagree with the split decision win for uh, the veteran, the legend, uh, Frankie Edgar. And uh, I thought the right hands of Edgar and uh, his combination punching were what really uh, was able to make Munoz have to take a step back and not totally be on the offensive for uh, the full duration of the five rounds. And from Munoz, I thought his powerful jabs and his kicks to the legs of uh, Frankie Edgar, especially the lead leg of Edgar, was what really uh, beat up Edgar. And even though Edgar won the fight, you could see post-fight he was limping because of the repeated damage he took to his legs because of the non-stop pressure and uh, the powerful leg kicks of Munoz. So a really exciting bantamweight fight. If you haven't watched it, go back, check out the replay. One of the best fights of the year, a five-round war where neither guy really wanted to take a step back, and both these guys have incredible heart, incredible determination. I would have been fine with the fight going either way. Edgar ended up getting the win here, a big win over a very quality bantamweight in Pedro Munoz. This was, of course, Edgar's first fight at bantamweight before he was fighting at uh, 145 pounds. So a big win for him and for uh, Pedro Munoz. He definitely shouldn't feel too bad about his performance. I thought both these fighters accounted for themselves very well. And it was a very exciting fight. And maybe we could do a rematch because who wouldn't want to see these two absolute warriors fight again? So let's move on from that fight uh, to the next fight on uh, the UFC schedule. And that fight was on August 29th from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. A light heavyweight main event between Anthony Smith and Alexander Rockich. I thought Rockich would win this fight because of his overall striking ability and also uh, his wrestling ability as he was able to really control the fight here. And looking at the strikes, 
Uh, Smith only landed 40 out of 53 total strikes. Rockich landed 141 out of 159 total strikes. And he landed uh, 7 shots to the body and 21 kicks to the leg. Uh, to the legs of Anthony Smith so he was doing a really great job of mixing up his striking and just keeping Anthony Smith off balance uh, for the full three rounds of their fight and Rockich ended up winning the fight by unanimous decision 27-30, uh, 27-30 and 26-30 all for the winner by unanimous decision Alexander Rockich and I think for Anthony Smith his days as a light heavyweight uh, being at the top of the sport in his division are over. He'll likely never get a title shot again, as he did against John Jones. And I just think his beating he took against Glover uh, Teixeira, and then the beating he took against Alexander Rakic, have really exposed the holes in Anthony Smith, uh, his overall fight game. And for Alexander Rakic, he looks like a top-light heavyweight. Maybe he gets the winner of the fight between Dominic Reyes and Jan Blokowicz. We'll see what happens there uh, with that light heavyweight title fight. Now that the incomparable, the legendary John Jones has vacated his light heavyweight title, we'll see how uh, the division shakes out from here. But for me, Alexander Rakic is definitely an elite uh, light heavyweight and a guy that deserves perhaps a title shot. So I can't wait to see this very talented fighter in Alexander Rakic uh, once again fight. And for Anthony Smith, I think his days, um, you know, fighting the top guys in the sport are probably over. He needs to maybe move up to heavyweight or move down to middleweight at 185 pounds to maybe have some success there. But his days fighting top light heavyweights, I think, are over. And uh, Smith really has to look at what he can do better in terms of striking, in terms of being more active in there. And for Rakic, it was a beautiful, dominant performance from him. He was able to really uh, pretty much dominate the fight from start to finish and outlanded him by uh, over 100 total strikes. And he had 12 minutes and 14 seconds of uh, control time. So when that happens, you're definitely not going to win the fight. So we'll see uh, where Rakic goes from here. Now, moving on from that fight uh, to the next fight on the UFC schedule. This was on September 5th, a heavyweight fight between the slight underdog in Alistair Overeem, the absolute legend Alistair Overeem, who's been fighting in the sport for more than 20 years, and he's still going strong at the age of, I believe, let's see, yeah, he's 40 years old. So a young 40 for Alistair Overeem still looks as strong as ever with recent wins over Walt Harris and now Augusto Sakai which happened uh, in his last fight which as I said was uh, on September 5th. So a very uh, big win for Alistair Overeem and if this fight was only a three round fight I definitely think that Augusto Sakai wins this fight. But this is not, this is a five round war and you've got to be ready to fight and continue to fight for the full five rounds. And the veteran savvy, the experience of Alistair Overeem, I thought was what ended up being the difference in this fight. Because early on Sakai was really getting the better of Overeem, uh, really able to control him against the fence and land more punches. And you look at the total strikes landed, Sakai uh, 
uh, heavyweight from Brazil. He was able to land 120 out of 196 total strikes. Overeem landed 106 out of 131 total strikes. So Sakai actually did outland him over the course of the fight. And uh, he was really able to, you know, control him in those early rounds. And Overeem was kind of just biding his time, never in really too much trouble in terms of getting knocked out. And what I thought was really the difference in this fight was the wrestling of Alistair Overeem as he was able to end the fight with ground and pound at the beginning of the fifth round after pretty much dominating the fourth round. You look at the control time, Overeem had 5 minutes and 30 seconds of control time. Sakai only had 2 minutes and 22 seconds of control time. And Overeem was 3 of 3 on his takedown attempts. So an absolute career resurgence we've seen from Alistair Overeem, as I said, getting wins over Walt Harris and now Augusto Sakai, two up-and-coming heavyweights, showing uh, the us fight fans that the 40-year-old Alistair Overeem is not quite done yet at competing uh, with the best heavyweights in the division. Now, I don't know if this necessarily means he's going to fight Stipe Miocic next, but maybe he gets a rematch against Jarzinho Rosenstrike. Maybe he fights Junior Dos Santos. Maybe he gets a rematch against Curtis Blades. Uh, we'll see where he goes from here. But definitely two very impressive wins after a tough uh, knockout loss to Jarzinho Rosenstrike. So I can't wait to see Alistair Overeem back in the octagon, clearly showing he's not retiring yet. And for Augusto Sakai, he's just got to really improve on his stamina. And if he's going to fight these five-round fights, he's got to be ready to fight five rounds and can't uh, just fade away as he did in the fourth and fifth rounds of this fight against the veteran and uh, the great legendary Alistair Overeem who's really showing that he has a lot left in the tank. Now let's move on from that fight to the next fight uh, on the UFC schedule, and that was on September 12th between Michelle Watterson and Angela Hill. And uh, this was a woman's strawweight main event fight between two very quality fighters at the top of that division. And I thought the that what really... Uh, won this fight for Watterson by a split decision was her wrestling as she was able to have four minutes and three seconds of ground control time and was one of 18 on her takedown attempts. But that just shows she was relentless in her takedown attempts, uh, going for 18 of them in a five-round fight. And Angela Hill, early on, I thought was getting the better of her in the exchanges because of her reach advantage. She was able to land a lot of punches. But guess what? The kicks of Watterson, the mixing up of striking, was probably what I was able to get her the win here. It was an exciting back-and-forth fight, but I thought the wrestling and the striking versatility of Watterson ended up getting the win over mainly the boxer and Angela Hill. And let's look at the fight stats here. Uh, Hill landed 146 out of 278 total strikes. Watterson landed 162 out of 361 total strikes. So both these fighters were very active in there. And uh, Watterson had 4 minutes and 3 seconds of ground control time. Angela Hill had 2 minutes and 10 seconds of ground control time. And uh, the leg kicks of Watterson really helped her out. She landed 23 out of 31 leg kicks. 
while uh, Hill only landed four out of four leg kicks. So as I said, that striking versatility going to the head and body of Hill and also attacking her legs uh, was really able to get her the win here. She was able to land a lot of kicks while Angela Hill was mainly just throwing a lot of punches. And as is often the case in these five round fights, if this was only a three round fight, I think Angela Hill probably gets the decision there because she was really controlling the action early on. But this is a five round marathon and Michelle Watterson really showed that she had better stamina. Uh, she was more active in there and was really able to control uh, a majority of the fight, especially in those later rounds, to get a big split decision win over Angela Hill. So it was a very exciting fight between the, those two uh, women. Both of them are absolute warriors and uh, it was a very exciting fight. So if you haven't seen uh, the Frankie Edgar, Pedro Munoz fight or the Angela Hill, Michelle Watterson fight, I definitely recommend going back and watching both of those fights. Very exciting main events and uh, really showed me that uh, the UFC has got some great fighters. Speaking of the UFC, they just signed Michael Chandler, the guy that just uh, knocked out Benson Henderson in his last fight. They signed Michael Chandler over from Bellator. He's a very talented lightweight. He says he's the best lightweight in the world, and he's the replacement fighter uh, if Gaethje or Khabib are unable to fight. So, uh, big signing for the UFC and Michael Chandler, and I bet you Benson Henderson is glad he's no longer in Bellator. So I can't wait to see Michael Chandler fight in the UFC. Maybe he'll get a guy like Tony Ferguson or maybe the winner of Khabib uh, versus Justin Gaethje. We'll see what happens there. But definitely a great signing for uh, the UFC as Michael Chandler was uh, the former lightweight uh, champion in Bellator after beating Benson Henderson for a second time. A beautiful knockout he got over Benson Henderson. Uh, of course, Henderson is also a former UFC champion, so it's definitely a great sign that Michael Chandler can beat him, and now he's uh, going to fight in the biggest fight promotion in the world in the UFC under the brightest lights with the most eyes on him. So I definitely think uh, Chandler is definitely a worthy UFC fighter and probably a top five lightweight already in his division. Now let's move on to a UFC Fight Night preview. Covington vs. Woodley coming up September 19th from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now before I get to the main event here, let me preview the third fight on the card. We've got my favorite up-and-coming fighter, perhaps the most dominant fighter in the sport today, in Kazmat Shemaev taking on Gerald Mershart. Now, Mershard is definitely a step up in competition from the previous uh, fighters that Shemaev has been in there with, but everything I've seen from Shemaev has me not never doubting this guy. This guy just showed absolute domination in his previous two fights that, by the way, were only 10 days apart, breaking the record uh, for most fights in that span of time for the shortest turnaround in UFC history between two fights. So, don't doubt Chemaev. This guy's got the wrestling. He's got the ground and pound striking to really beat anyone in the sport. And uh, looking at the odds here, Chemaev is a minus 400 favorite. Mershart is a plus 320 underdog. 
And let's look at how they line up against each other. Shemaev is 6'2", 185 pounds with a 75-inch reach. His opponent, Mershard, is 6'1", 185 pounds with a 77-inch reach. So, of course, I'm going with Shemaev here. I'll say a second-round submission win over uh, Gerald Mershard here. I just don't think there's many fighters in the world that had the activity level, the wrestling capability of Shemaev, and the ground and pound to go with it. Uh, maybe except for Khabib, Nurmagomedov, I don't see another fighter in the sport that has the wrestling uh, style, the wrestling domination that Shemaev has shown in his first two fights in the UFC. So I cannot wait for him to fight once again coming up this Saturday against Gerald Mershart. So of course I'm picking Shemaev here to get the win here, and I'm saying a second round submission win over Gerald Mershart. Now let's move on to the co-main event between the legendary Donald Cerrone taking on Nico Price. Nico Price uh, is a very talented fighter. Let's look at uh, who he's fought before. He lost uh, to Vincent Luque by Dr. Stoppage. Before that, he beat James Vick. He lost to Geoff Neal, but he beat beat, uh, Tim Means. So this guy has fought... Uh, a lot of fighters in the past, and but he's never quite fought uh, a guy like Donald Cerrone, who's got a little bit of everything in his game. Donald Cerrone has the punching, he's got the kicking, he's a very exciting fighter to watch, always pushing forward, a very offensively minded fighter, definitely a fan favorite, and uh, one of the most active fighters in the UFC. As uh, Cerrone has fought... Uh, has a record of 36 wins and 15 losses, so he's fought quite a lot uh, in his career, but he's coming off a few losses. After his unanimous decision win over Al Iaquinta back in May of 2019, he lost to Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje, Conor McGregor, and Anthony Pettis. So he's coming off four straight losses going into his fight against Nico Price. And the odds for this fight are actually quite close uh, as uh, Price is a slight favorite at minus 140. Cerrone is a slight underdog at plus 120. Looking at how they match up against each other, Cerrone is 6'1", 170 with a 73-inch reach. And his opponent, Nico Price, is 6 feet, 170 pounds with a 76-inch reach. So this should be a very competitive fight between two very exciting fighters. But I do indeed like Nico Price here to get the win. I'll say third round TKO win for uh, Nico Price here against the legendary Donald Cerrone. I just think he's, uh, you know, he's the younger fighter, the fighter that um, perhaps has a little bit more activity in there. He's got maybe a little bit more power, a little bit more flair than Donald Cerrone, who's really been through some wars lately and coming off four straight losses. All the cards are stacked against Donald Cerrone here, looking like he's on the downturn of his career. But sometimes that's when he comes out with his best performances. So we'll see what happens here against a very evenly uh, matched opponent in Nico Price. But I'm going to go with Price here with a third round uh, TKO win over Donald Cerrone. And give a lot of, lot of credit to Cerrone for coming back and fighting. 
because he could have just retired after four straight losses. He's 37 years old. He's fought so many times in the UFC. He's given us fans so many great fights. But guess what? He's going to give us another great fight coming up uh, this Saturday against Nico Price. So you're not going to want to miss that. Now let's move on to the main event. A welterweight fight between Colby Covington and Tyron Woodley. Both guys that have fought and lost to Kamaru Usman in the past. Usman is just a very dominant wrestler with no real big holes in his game and his striking is getting better in every match. That's why he's the champion at 170 pounds at welterweight. And uh, it's unlikely that anyone besides maybe my guy Kazmat Shemaev uh, could actually beat him. So we'll see what happens there. And uh, I believe Gilbert Burns deserves the next title shot against Kamara Usman. So I can't wait to see how the Brazilian Gilbert Burns does against Usman. Uh, now let's get back to the main event, Colby Covington. He's 5'11", 170 pounds with a 72-inch reach. Woodley is 5'9", 170 pounds with a 74-inch reach. Looking at the odds for this fight, Covington is a minus 360 favorite. Woodley a big underdog at plus 290. And it seems like Woodley is just a little bit past his prime as uh, he's getting old now. He's already 38 years old, while his opponent, Colby Covington, he's only 32 years old. So a uh, six-year age advantage for Colby Covington and Tyron Woodley has just not put on inspired performances in his two unanimous decision losses to Kamara Usman and then to Gilbert Burns, two guys that should be fighting each other for the title. Uh, In those fights, Woodley just did not look very active in there and both were dominated uh, by Usman and Burns when they fought Woodley. So I just think that uh, he's just, you know, a little past his prime. Maybe he doesn't want to be as active in there. And you look at the fight stats for his fight against Gilbert Burns. Woodley landed 65 out of 101 total strikes. Burns landed 156 out of 211 total strikes. And he had 7 minutes and 58 seconds of ground control time. Woodley only had 2 minutes and 47 seconds of ground control time. So this just shows me that uh, this guy, Tyron Woodley, the former champion at welterweight, uh, it appears his days as the champion are over now, and it's time for Gilbert Burns, Colby Covington, and also, of course, Kamara Usman to fight it out at the top of the division. And Colby Covington, he also lost to Kamara Usman, but it was a very competitive back-and-forth fight. Uh, and before that, he beat um, Damian Maya, Rafael Dos Anjos, Robbie Lawler, and most recently he lost to Kamara Usman back in uh, December of 2019. But let's check out the fight stats there for right now the best welterweight in the world in Kamara Usman. Let's check out uh, those fight stats for his fight with uh, Kobe Covington because it was a very competitive fight that I shot that I thought uh, that Covington was even winning some rounds until he got knocked out, uh, stopped in the fifth round. And uh, the fight stats bore that out as Usman landed 175 out of 360 total strikes. 
Covington landed 143 out of 395 total strikes. And this was mainly a striking battle because the wrestling of both these fighters ended up canceling each other out. And Usman ended up getting the better of Covington very late on in that fifth round. But uh, Covington absolutely showed he's a warrior, one of the top welterweights in the world, and a guy that should be Tyron Woodley. Uh, I think this fight could be competitive, but judging by his uh, recent performances against Gilbert Burns and then Kamara Usman, I think that maybe Tyron Woodley isn't fighting with the necessary heart, the necessary determination, the will to really beat a guy like Kobe Covington, who's just not going to stop coming forward not going to stop going for takedowns or really trying to dominate the fight in every way. So I'm really looking forward to that fight between Covington and Woodley to see if Woodley still indeed has anything left in the tank and how Kobe Covington looks. Because if Covington is dominant, he could set himself up for another title shot in the not-too-distant future. If Woodley ends up springing the upset, then you know maybe he's right back in there with the top of the welterweights and maybe uh, gets a rematch against Colby Covington. But if that doesn't happen, expect Covington to win this fight. I'm going to go ahead and pick uh, Covington to win this fight by unanimous decision. I think he'll get the better of him in the wrestling exchanges and he'll be the more active fighter in terms of striking uh, when they're both standing up. So Covington better get the win here if he ever does indeed want to fight for the welterweight title once again. Uh, I'm expecting a very competitive fight between these two, but I expect Covington to win the fight by unanimous decision. I'll say he wins maybe three rounds. Uh, Woodley maybe wins two rounds, but I think that Covington's going to be the more active fighter in there, and uh, he's got top-notch wrestling, as does Woodley, but he just didn't show that against Usman or against Gilbert Burns where when he really had to to really remain at the top of the welterweight division. Uh, Covington, he's younger than him. I think he's faster than him. He's got uh, more tricks in his bag. And uh, Woodley just looks like he's a little past his prime and doesn't quite fight with that same power as he did when he was uh, you know, the welterweight champion. So my picks for this fight card are Kazma Chimaev by second round submission, Nico Price by third round TKO, and Kobe Covington by unanimous decision. And don't forget that uh, coming up next uh, Saturday on September 26th, we've got uh, the fight for the middleweight title between Israel Adesanya and Paulo Costa. I'm going to be picking Adesanya in that fight. And then in the co-main event, we've got Dominic Reyes taking on uh, Jan Blokowicz for a light heavyweight title fight. This is because the legendary John Jones, the greatest light heavyweight in UFC history, has vacated his title, uh, I believe, to move up to heavyweight. So we'll see who wins between Dominic Reyes and Jan Blokowicz. So make sure to tune into my next episode to get that preview of UFC 253 Adesanya vs. Costa coming up next Saturday on September 26th from Yas Island in Abu Dhabi uh, from the United Arab Emirates. So can't wait for that fight card. And don't forget, coming up this Saturday, tomorrow actually, uh, a big welterweight fight between Colby Covington and Tyron Woodley. 
And I'm going to, as I said previously, pick Covington to win that fight by unanimous decision. Now let's check out the upcoming boxing matches that we have on the schedule here. So coming up on September 19th from Las Vegas on ESPN+, Plus, we've got Jose Pedraza taking on Javier Molina, 10 rounds, junior welterweights. I've got Pedraza here winning this fight, I'll say by unanimous decision. I think he's the longer boxer in there, the one with more skill, with more activity, and I think he'll be able to really show his boxing skills, just as he was in his previous fight over Mikel Lapierre. And Lapierre, gotta give a lot of credit to him, as he is a frontline worker in a hospital during this uh, coronavirus pandemic. He's a part-time boxer, and that's probably why he lost to Jose Pedraza, who's a full-fledged professional, a very talented boxer, and I don't see him losing uh, this fight to Javier Molina. So I've got Jose Pedraza winning the fight by unanimous decision. That's coming up uh, September 19th from Las Vegas on ESPN+. And also on September 19th from Uncasville, Connecticut on Showtime, in the main event, we've got Erickson Lubin taking on Terrell Gausha, 12 rounds, uh, WBC junior middleweight title eliminator. I've got Lubin winning that fight. I'm not as familiar with Gausha, so I'm going to go ahead and pick Lubin because I think he's got better boxing skills and he's also uh, the stronger fighter with more force and more power in his punches. Erickson Lubin has a record of 21 wins and one loss with 16 wins coming by knockout showing he's got a lot of knockout power in his last uh, win he got a unanimous decision win over Nathaniel Gallimore and that was back on October of 2019 so he's coming off quite the long layoff almost a year layoff since his last fight so we'll see how he looks uh, coming up uh, this September 19th against Terrell Gausha and his only career loss came against the very talented Jermel Charlo, but he lost in the first round uh, knockout, and that was back on 2017. So he's learned from that loss, and I expect him uh, to get past Terrell Gausha when they do indeed meet uh, coming up this Saturday. And looking at uh, Gausha's record, he's uh, only lost to the top guys in the sport, really. He uh, got a split decision draw against Austin Trout and he lost a unanimous decision uh, to Arislandi Lara so clearly both of these guys are uh, very talented boxers only losing uh, to the top guys so this should be a very competitive fight but I think I'm going to go with Lubin here but Gasha could definitely spring the upset and then uh, moving on from that on September 25th from Tijuana Mexico we've got Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. taking on Mario Abel Cazares. And guess what? In the co-main event, it's listed here that Julio Chavez Jr., Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., his father, the legendary fighter, will be taking on Jorge Arce in an exhibition fight. So that should be a fun fight card to tune into. Both Chavez, uh, you know, the son and the father will be fighting on that card, so you're not going to want to miss that spectacle. And uh, I'll be previewing the fights on September 26th. Josh Taylor versus Apumin 
Kong uh, Song, a very big fight for Josh Taylor. If he gets past uh, Kong Song, he'll most likely set up that big fight against Jose Ramirez. And then, of course, uh, we've also got Jamal Charlo taking on Sergey Dervinchenko. Uh, Dervinchenko is the guy that most recently fought Gennady Golovkin. A lot of people thought that uh, Dervinchenko might have won that fight, so I can't wait to see how he looks against Jamal Charlo. And then also we've got uh, Jamal Charlo taking on Jason Rosario, the guy that uh, got a big upset win in his previous fight over Julian Williams. He was a big underdog in that fight, but he ended up getting a fifth round uh, TKO over the favored Julian Williams. This will be his first fight following that big upset as he takes on the other uh, Charlo twin in Jermel Charlo. It should be a great night of fights uh, coming up next Saturday, September 26th. I'll get more into those fights uh, in my next uh, episode of Combat Bets. So tune in to episode number 19 of Combat Bets. Hopefully I'll get that out to you guys um, coming up next week. So don't forget, coming up this Saturday, we've got uh, Colby Covington taking on Tyron Woodley in a big welterweight fight. Uh, Two former title challengers and one former title holder in Tyron Woodley. And then in boxing, we've got Jose Pedraza versus Javier Molina uh, headlining a Las Vegas fight card on ESPN+. And Erickson Lubin taking on Terrell Gausha. Uh, Should be a very competitive fight. A WBC junior middleweight title, middleweight title eliminator. So looking forward to those fights. And don't forget, perhaps the most dominant fighter in the sport of MMA, Kazmat Shemaev, will once again be fighting in the third fight on the UFC fight card. So you better tune in for that fight card if you're a fan of watching absolute freaks of nature. Guys that just have a different level of skill fight. Guys like Khabib Nurmagomedov, guys like George St. Pierre when they were at the top of their game, you know, guys that are just going to dominate. Even a guy like Anderson Silva, an absolute legend, you could just tell that he was the best in the sport at his prime. And right now, I think that's what we're seeing in Kazmat Shemaev. So you do not want to miss this guy fight whenever indeed he does step into the octagon. Can't wait for that fight. Can't wait for Covington versus Woodley. Should be a great night of fights in the UFC and also in boxing. So I want to thank all my fellow Believers for listening to episode number 18 of Combat Bets on the Believe Network. This will conclude episode number 18 of Combat Bets. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Jason Barron. Kobe forever. Mamba forever. No justice, no peace. Let's keep being responsible with this coronavirus. Continue to wear your mask. Continue to social distance. At least now there's sports on to entertain us. There's the NBA playoffs. There's the NHL Stanley Cup final between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Dallas Stars. There's college football back. There's NFL football. There's UFC and uh, boxing. Of course, some of my favorite sports to keep us entertained. Don't forget the Premier League just came back. The Bundesliga came back with Bayern Munich putting on an absolute clinic. An 8-0 win over Schalke. Their new signing, Lero Sané, uh, looks like a great addition to Bayern Munich. 
Sergei Gnabry uh, with a hat trick. And of course, they lost Thiago Alcantara. He'll be going to Liverpool, but Bayern Munich remain one of the most dominant teams in world football, of course, coming off their Champions League win over Paris Saint-Germain in the final. Uh, I can't wait to continue watching all these sports. And don't forget, Lionel Messi is still on Barcelona. He's still the best player in the world. So whenever uh, Messi takes the pitch, you're really going to want to tune into that as well. So once again, thank you so much for listening to episode number 18 of Combat Bets on the Believe Network. And don't forget, coming up next month in October, Vasily Lomachenko against Tiafimo Lopez. The up-and-coming young hungry lion in Tiafimo Lopez taking on the grizzled veteran, perhaps the most skilled boxer in the sport, in Vasily Lomachenko, the power puncher against the great boxer. It's a great matchup. I cannot wait for that fight, so make sure to tune into that as well, coming up in the middle of October. I hope everyone has a great weekend and enjoy all the fights. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.